Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Sarah Weiss about behavioral problems after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Midwest Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project. And I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. Today, my guest is Dr. Sarah Weiss. And Dr. Weiss graduated from Eastern Michigan University with a PhD in clinical psychology in 2012, provided treatment and assessment services to adults, couples, and families in a variety of healthcare and community settings. She has experience providing cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness-based treatments for mood and anxiety disorders, grief and loss, and coping with stress. During her internship and residency at the VA Ann Arbor Healthcare System, she received advanced training in interventions and assessments related to chronic disease management. Dr. Weiss enjoys helping people cope with chronic diseases, physical injuries, and related emotional challenges. She is interested in research-based strategies to prevent illness and injury, reduce the burden associated with these challenges, and to improve the quality of life for individuals who are living with these conditions. Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation Center is a nonprofit organization located in Lansing, Michigan. Origami provides comprehensive rehabilitation care for survivors of brain injuries and their families. Through their compassionate and innovative service, Origami creates opportunities and transforms lives. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Weiss. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Amy. I'm so happy to be here. <clears throat> So, you know, Dr. Weiss, I would love for you to just give us a little background of how you came to work in the brain injury community. Um, What brought you here? Sure. Uh, Well, I've always had a professional interest in that mind-body connection and the amazing things that the brain can accomplish when the environment is right and the body is supported. Um, But it really kind of came home to me when I had the chance to work with veterans. Um, Traumatic brain injury is the signature wound of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it was was very important to me on a personal and professional level to be a part of the support to help our veterans come back and um, have a good life. 
Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think veterans are so often overlooked when it comes to brain injury and uh, it's the number one war wound that they're coming back with. Um, And, you know, I think, I think too often people uh, just think, you know, veterans have PTSD. I, I hear that a lot, um, that they get treated for PTSD, but it's never really addressed with the TBI aspect. Glad to hear that you're part of that and, you know, just raising that awareness. That's, that's what it's all about, right? That's right. So, Dr. Weiss, today's topic, understanding behavioral problems after brain injury, um, such an important topic um, you know, I, I hear so often, you know, sometimes the survivor is self-aware and knows that they have behavioral problems, um, and sometimes they don't. And, you know, it's the caregiver <laughs> that is bringing <laughs> it up. Um, but it, it, inevitably, it comes up quite often. And, you know, I feel fortunate that with mine, I really didn't have behavioral problems um, I actually, I have to sneeze. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to come out when I leave. Oh, bless you. It. Um, you know, for me, I remember my personality was extremely flat. Um, I really didn't get excited, but I also, <laughs> oh, the stupid sneeze. Bless you. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't really get excited, but I also didn't get angry or upset. Like I, my, my personality was super neutral and it's, so it, I just remember it was so weird. Um, and fortunately, that's all bounced back. But I know that some people struggle with anger and aggression. Um, and, you know, some of the other areas would also be like naivety. Um, and I unfortunately, I hear way too often of people who kind of get taken advantage of because they can't you know, like I said, the naivety of it, and they can't quite see what's happening, um, and just being a little too trusting, you know, I kind of consider that a behavioral mm-hmm. problem as well, um, and so, yeah, you know, where where would you like to start? Let's just kind of jump on in. Um, Yeah, so for sure, lots of changes to mood, behavior, personality. Those are all very common after a head injury. Um, And I think it helps to kind of take a step back and look at kind of the routes or the mechanisms through which those changes can happen. So, you know, for sure, a lot of those changes come from the injury itself and the physical damage or chemical damage to the brain. And that's where you can see kind of what you were talking about Um, what we call anhedonia, so sort of that flat affect, that minimal reaction, not a lot of energy, not a lot of get up and go. It's kind of one end. And then on the other end of those big changes is something we call disinhibition, and that's kind of the opposite. So it's that lack of control or ability to regulate feelings and behavior. They come on really strong and sometimes unpredictably. So people, depending on the nature of their injury, can experience any of those things. Also, um, as you've talked about on your podcast, just the challenges of sustaining an injury, the, you know, the, the life changes, the stress of that, the financial changes, um, that in and of itself can um, generate depression and anxiety and emotional changes mm-hmm. in people. So there's lots of things that can go on um, either as a direct result of the injury or sort of that indirect trying to live with and recover from in the months following. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think what's so interesting with brain injury, too, is that some of these things can show up right away. And some of these things take, you know, weeks and months to show up. Um, and I know that that is one of the really complex parts of it. You know, a person might seem fairly okay after their injury, but then like a month, two months go by, and then they start having these different, you know, anxiety and mood problems. So I think that's the really complex and interesting part of brain injury in, in that, you know, this, these things don't, uh, they're not always obvious right away. Right. Um, and right. I think that, For that sure. that's what's confusing and frustrating to, to, to a lot of people, especially the friends and family. You know, I know for me a lot, it was like, Oh my gosh, it's been six weeks. Get over it. What's the problem? Like, how was this still possibly bothering you? And, um, you know, and in reality, everything was just getting worse and worse for me. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, I'm trying to think where, where would you like to go first? Like, how would you like to cover this? Like I said, <laughs> well, there's, I, so I many, wanna... there's so many that we can talk about. So where would you like For to sure. jump on? Um, so I kind of just wanted to piggyback on what you just said a moment about yeah. sort of others having a hard time understanding because it's kind of, you know, brain injury is known as an invisible injury. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the things that are happening can't be seen from the outside and, Unfortunately, we live in a society where if we can't see it, there's a tendency to not believe it or to minimize it. So that's um, definitely something that a lot of people experience. And I think just taking a moment to acknowledge the legitimacy of that can help survivors and caregivers um, to kind of come to terms with that. You know, the other thing is that, as you mentioned, that symptoms don't show up necessarily until people, um, some time has passed since their injury. And part of that is, people are, you know, slowly making that transition back to household responsibilities, back to work, back to driving. And it's not really until we're in those more functional environments that um, we necessarily see and appreciate all of the deficits. And so as awareness improves, as sort of trying to make that transition back to quote-unquote normal life improves, there's certainly going to be some emotional changes that come Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, I remember, um, so I was a photographer, well, I still am, but I was in the middle of busy season when my accident happened, and you don't know what you've lost until you try to do it, um, mm-hmm. and I remember in the studio, I was fine, you know, you don't have to change your settings on the camera that much when you're in studio, um, but the first time I got outside, and you have constantly changing lighting situations, and I remember just being like, what what do I need to do? Like, I, I couldn't comprehend why my pictures weren't turning out. And, you know, like, I knew I should knew how, I knew that I should know how to fix it, but I had no idea how to fix it. And it was really, really scary. Um, and that was probably a month or two after my injury. Um, and it was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to use my camera. <laughs> you know, like, and it's something that I've been doing since I was literally five years old. Um, so, yeah, and it's really terrifying when that happens. Yeah, and, you know, it's not, you know, when you think of it from that perspective, it's really understandable why people would then continue to struggle with things like feeling depressed or scared or anxious or even becoming irritable and just really struggling in social interactions when 
the way in which you're used to walking the earth and understanding information just does not make sense anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of other Facebook groups for TBI and I'm in one in particular that, um, like spouses and, and, um, girlfriends of brain injured people. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how they just don't seem to get, like, I just, I'm a very silent observer in that group because otherwise I could totally get sucked into it because, I just want to like jump through the screen and just be like, don't you understand it's their brain injury? <laughs> and, you know, and, and I get it that, you know, like you said, it's invisible. They, you know, I, I think the hardest thing for spouses is like the anger and the apathy, right? The lack of motivation to mm-hmm. do things. And I hear that over and over, too. You know, like, oh, my God, I asked him to take out the garbage. It was one thing. That's all I asked him to do. And I came home, and he didn't do it. And it's like, well, there's a few things here. One, he probably forgot. Or two, he has apathy and literally couldn't get the energy up to go do it, right? Uh, yeah. um, but but it's just like, you know, they're in this group, so they clearly know that their their spouse has a brain injury. Um but like they're just they're just not getting it, and um, or they're simply choosing. I think this is another component of it. And correct me, you know, if you think I'm wrong, but I think sometimes they're using it as an excuse to be upset. Do you know what I mean? Like they need something to be angry about. Um, the, the, this is a thing that's disrupted their life and their family, and so you know they're just trying to find a thing to blame it on? Does that make sense? I'm not articulating that as well as I thought I would. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Um, Like, well, I mean, for sure, like, this is very hard on caregivers as well when, you know, someone that you love has fundamentally changed in this really big way. It's, it's a hard thing to come to terms with, to live with day in and day out. So sometimes it's just easier to get mad about the trash or something really concrete than it is to kind of acknowledge, like, whoa, the whole picture, our lives have changed and who knows how far we're going to get back. Like it's it's very difficult for caregivers too. And, you know, in, brain injuries happen to everyone across the spectrum. So, you know, if you're someone who has solid um, coping skills and um, psychologically strong and resilient, um, that's going to set you on a different coping path than someone who's already sort of struggling with coping with daily frustration. So, that brain injury just kind of magnifies the um, perhaps unhealthy habits that some people may be um, engaging in. So it's it's a tough situation for all, for sure. And that um, that inability to like get going and and focus on a goal oriented task that you talked about, like that is definitely a core symptom of a brain injury. And it's really hard for caregivers to wrap their mind around. Um, I just think it's really important to remember that's not laziness, that's not lack yeah. of investment in the relationship, that's not um, even providers struggle with that. We have to have conversations about you know, this is not them being mm-hmm. non-compliant um, this, is, this is part of the head injury and then there are some strategies to try to help the person um, initiate that activity and get going. Yes, that's a really great point. I heard um, a presentation, uh, I believe it was a neuropsychologist was speaking and he was, it was a room full of clinicians and he absolutely addressed that. He's like, you know, 
I see far too often in their charts that they're being non-compliant. They're not doing their rehab. They're not doing their, you know, their in-home rehab. They're not taking their meds as a directed. And it's like, no, they're not non-compliant. They literally are forgetting or they have habits, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's sometimes really frustrating when even the clinicians don't understand, you know, like if they don't understand, yep. how are we expected to understand, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's true in many cases. You know, I recently met, um, where was I? I think I was in Wyoming, and I gave a presentation, and these two young adults, I'm guessing they were probably high school age, came up, and their dad had just had a really horrible, um, I can't remember if they were mountain biking or rock climbing, but regardless, he had a pretty bad, they had taken their helmet off to rest. And um, mm-hmm. this, like, they were watching people on this bungee swing, and it came back, and somehow it reached him and hit him and knocked him off the edge of the cliff. And a totally freak accident, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he was still in the hospital, and they came up, and they were asking me what to expect when he comes home, because he's going to be going home in about a week or two. And I just thought that was so mature and responsible you know like their mom was still at the hospital with them every day and they decided to come to my presentation to hear me and and ask me some questions and you know I'm like how incredibly mature and responsible and I warned them you know he his personality might be different he might have anger he might say mean things but he really doesn't mean it you know, it's, it's his brain injury talking and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like they were just like absorbing it. And I was just like, wow, you know, like I wish more people were like that. Right. Like willing to hear it and understand it was, it was just so heartwarming. You know, like I said, they were like high school age-ish, maybe even middle school. Um, It was just so heartwarming because, you know, the reality is, and, and I think it's, it's harder with men. I, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but in my experience, it seems like the men are the ones who get a lot more anger and like saying really mean things and they don't, they don't, you know, they don't mean it. Right. Like it's maybe you can help explain (laughs) it more, but it's like, they don't mean it. It's, it's, it's literally the brain injury talking and they don't have that filter. Um, yeah, to be able yeah. to filter yeah. what they're trying. They yeah. don't know how to communicate. Yeah. Like I'm not being able to communicate yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. It's that, that social filter, those those um, brain activities that allow us to attend, like focus on what's going on in this conversation and respond appropriately. And, um, you know, depending on someone's injury, they may be processing information much slower. So the group conversation moved on. And, you know, they're still wanting to deliver a joke that five minutes ago would have been really appropriate, but now is a total mismatch. And so now you've got a recipe for people to feel offended and confused and frustrated. And um, But, yeah, you gave really great advice about, you know, stay calm, don't take it personally. Um, you know, your your loved one is in there somewhere. But right now that brain injury is kind of at the forefront and absolutely impacting how your loved one is seeing the world and interacting with the world. And that's a situation that, again, is just very difficult for caregivers when 
someone you've known, let's say your whole life has a particular personality and now it's different. It's, it's really hard not to um, take it personally and kind of get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally um, people also can become violent, you know, like whether it's just throwing things or even, you know, pushing other people, um, you know, would you say that also comes from like a, um, a, a frustration um, they don't know how to communicate what they're feeling. You know, I really liked what you said about how they're they're ten minutes behind in the conversation, and then they came up with a joke, but it's you know no longer part of the conversation. Right? Because <laughs> I've done that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for me too, um, I couldn't always identify. I couldn't distinguish sarcasm from. Mm-hmm. literal conversation I remember that was really hard for me I would be like gosh that person's mean and my friend would be like it's a joke I'm like oh okay yeah I couldn't mm-hmm. read the body or facial cues mm-hmm. yeah that's very common you know that that loss of control there's lots of things that can trigger that again it can be the part of the brain that was damaged but it can also be you know, if you take someone who's experiencing fatigue because of their head injury, they're in a new situation, it's very stimulating, they're, they're struggling to feel calm and safe, and now they can't remember what you just asked them to do. Um, they're having a hard time processing that information. You know, very quickly someone can reach a point where they just kind of boil over, and without that deliberate intention, they're just acting in a way to... Um, put themselves in a safer position to protect themselves. And it's, it really comes down to a lot of just completely misunderstanding the situation and not being able to take in all of that information in a timely fashion. And so how, as a caregiver or a loved one or a friend, how can you help a person dealing with this? How, how can you help them when they're in a moment of frustration or anger? What What's the best way to handle that? So in the moment, as, as best you can, remain calm yourself. Don't take it personally. <laughs> and then, which is easy to say and really hard yeah. to do, but then also then try to address the feelings. So um, if it's obvious what it is that's frustrating to that person, try to um, remove the frustration if you can, or get that person to a quieter, calmer environment um, where they're not so overstimulated. Um, try to do some things to help them get re-regulated, you know, deep breathing, let's let's take a break from what's going on, let's talk about something neutral, um, let's walk around for a little bit. Because once you get that feeling settled down, the, the person will then be able to access their their problem-solving skills, their, their thinking abilities. But whenever there's a really strong feeling present, we just don't have the ability to problem-solve. So in that moment, the, the task is to help the person calm down um, and then later try to solve the problem. So if it's, you know, I'm just trying to throw out a bunch of ideas here, but the other thing to remember is that you know, there are trained providers, brain injury providers out there who this is what we do day in and day out, and we are here for support for caregivers and survivors, and it's not something you have to um, try to cope with on your own. You know, it helps to kind of have that that um, outside perspective to try to figure out, so what was the trigger in this situation, and 
let's try to change it in this way or, um, you know, helping people learn some additional coping skills to get through those tough moments. Yeah, you know, and and you kind of triggered a question for me in there. Um, so what about the person who, let's say they were in a car accident. They were told they're fine. They were sent home. A couple months go by. They're really frustrated and they're getting angry and they have a short fuse and, you know, the, the the spouse or the caregiver they're you know they're like what is wrong with you right like why all of a sudden mm-hmm. are you angry and frustrated um you know and hopefully some of those people are listening and and those dots are connecting um that that person probably you know suffered a brain injury in that car accident you know they you don't have to hit your head you don't have to lose consciousness you know um and the person who was in the car accident, there's, you know, they're not understanding why they're having memory problems or they can't remember how to do tasks at work or, you know, you know, all those symptoms are flaring, but they don't know what they are. Right. And I think that's such a big, big problem in our community right now is there's there's people walking around that have been told they're fine. You know, the, the word brain injury or concussion never even came up, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so they're just not understanding what's going on with them. Um, so someone like that that's maybe listening, you know, what would you recommend? Who who should they reach out to? Who would be a good first step for them? So usually I, I encourage people to reach out to their primary care provider and in an ideal world, that person is going to, you know, catch what happened and then direct you to the next appropriate step. So that's usually the first place. But, you know, everyone is entitled to a second opinion, and, you know, you have to be an advocate for yourself. So if um, you just feel like you're not getting the right answers, feel free to reach out to um, either another primary care provider or um, a type of physician called a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. Um, who really kind of specialize in recognizing head injury and treating it. And once you get connected with that person, they will then um, help you find whether you most need to see a psychologist to work on the trauma, whether you need some medication to help, whether you need, you know, speech or occupational therapy to work on some skills. Um, I guess that would be, those would be my suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, if, if you've already gone to your general physician, you have that right to go to ask another one or, you know, keep advocating and trying to get answers. And, um, you know, not every doctor knows everything, right? And they can't be expected to know everything. Um, So if you just feel you're just not getting the right answers, just keep looking. Um, You know, there's a lot of groups on Facebook you can join. Um, You know, mine is Amy's TBI Tribe, um, and there's a lot of others that you can find on Facebook as well. But just find a community and, um, you know, start asking questions. I know I have people join my group all the time that have said, you know, I was in a car. It's usually a car accident, car or bike, bicycle. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, I was never diagnosed with a brain injury, but man, I suffer from this, this, and this, and, you know, being in your group and hearing all this and feeling validated and, you know, just, just that validation of knowing you're not alone, um, I think is really powerful. 
Certainly, so, yes. Dr. Weiss, we are down to the last few minutes, and I just want to make sure, is there anything you wanted to touch on that we have not covered? Um, I just, you know, want to emphasize that help is out there. This is not something that you have to try to cope with on your own, and that support is available for survivors and caregivers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, um, you work at Origami, and which is located, as I said earlier, in Lansing, Michigan, and I was just so impressed with your guys' staff and your facility when I was out there this summer and, you know, it just, it gives me such hope that there are providers like you guys in this world that truly get it. And, um, you know, you're, you're really helping a whole lot of people. And so I just want to acknowledge everything that all of you at Origami are doing um, to help promote, improve the lives of those living with brain injury. So um, thank you so much for everything that you and everyone else at Origami is doing. Oh, thank you, Amy. That that feedback is really appreciated. Yeah. You know, I travel the country, and I see a lot of facilities, and really, truly, you guys have a fabulous facility. And, you know, honestly, you know, a, a lot of your, your coworkers who have been on my podcast, you know, Michigan, if you're going to get in a car accident and have a brain injury, Michigan's the state to do it in because <laughs> of your um, you no-fault know, laws. But therefore, in turn – you guys have fantastically educated um, providers in the state. Uh, so that just gives me so much hope. Oh, yes. Yes, thank you. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Weiss. This has been a really important topic. And so thank you so much for being here and sharing with us. Thank you, Amy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder that you can find all of our previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And another quick thank you to our sponsor, Midwest Functional Neurology Center. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And again, just thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.